BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is your host, This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibe Nation. Geek Vibe Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. Uh, I'm your host, Tia Fabi, and happy... Pride Month. Um, I was just walking down uh, the street in Yonkers today, and they had a Pride uh, gathering extravaganza near the waterfront in Yonkers, so I just wanted to say kudos to those involved and the restaurants who got involved in that. That's awesome. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out because, as I mentioned before, this is Pride Month, and we are doing the top 10 best LGBTQ plus representation in film, TV, and comic books. But before I go any further, I have to announce my amazing co-host for tonight, and that is Ryan. What up, Ryan? Bro, I feel pregnant. I feel pregnant. <laughs> Did you eat too much? I had, Did you eat too much tonight? No, I just had some bomb-ass wings and french fries with milkshake. So you always know that's a, that's a good night right there. It's a good night, and it's making me really jealous that I had sushi earlier, and that is what oh, I consider a perfect meal. <laughs> That's what I'm I jealous. consider a perfect meal. Yeah, yeah. You should be jealous. <laughs> uh, that makes me even you know, more jealous. <laughs> you know what? I think that the, this uh, episode tonight is going to be a great one, and I forget if it was you or AJ who suggested it. It was you, no, right? It was me. It, it was me. Yeah, I'm not letting AJ take my thunder. He takes too much of it already. He's not taking this one from me. <laughs> we got to give it up to Ryan because this is perfect. I didn't even think about it. You know, like we had um, like a few articles kind of already surrounding Pride Month. And, um, you know, obviously we are huge supporters here at Geek Vibes Nation. But I didn't even think about this. And then you were like, oh, shit, this should be what we're doing. And I was like, uh, Ryan, that's 
nothing great. Thank you so much for even suggesting that. So without further ado, I think we should kind of kick off this list. So again, this is uh, the top 10 representation. It could either be, say, like a moment, a movie, or TV show, or comic book in specific, or if you want to talk about, say, a character, totally up to you. I'm up for it. Ryan, you're going to get the number 10 spot. So I'm, I'm going to say this right now. The sad part is a lot of this is going to be television simply for the fact that LGBTQ is not really um, promoted as much in movies as it is in television. But I'm going to start the list off with a pretty hot one and pretty recent one. Um, the I don't know her name, but it is the chick that plays Dreamer on season four of Supergirl. So if, if you guys have never seen Supergirl, technically speaking, season four is the first ever trans superhero. So there's an actress on the show. Don't know her name. Quite frankly, don't want to look it up because I'm too lazy. Um, she was formerly a male and then turned into a female. And they they announced this months before season four debuted. And when season four finally arrived, I got so confused because I was trying to look for a transgender person and I couldn't figure it out. So I'm just like, maybe they're not going to introduce her for like a few episodes. So then I go on IMDb, and I realize it's the chick I've been watching the whole time. And I'm like, holy shit, she's, she's the transgender superhero? And I, I'm not going to lie, I stopped watching the show before she became the superhero name known as quote-unquote Dreamer. But from what I've heard is they did a really good representation of the of a trans character being a superhero, from what I got from watching her, is she has, like, telekinetic abilities and can read minds and shit like that. And I'm only putting her at the bottom of the list. One, because she's more recent. We we don't really know who she is. And there's not too much development for her because it's Supergirl and the title Supergirl, so they don't really want to focus on her. They want to focus on Supergirl. But I think that it was pretty bold and brave for the CW to put out a trans, like the first ever trans superhero on television and even film. So. Uh, Yeah. So I looked up the name, the actress's name is Nicole Maines um, and Dreamer, a.k.a. Nia Nall. That's uh, her character's name right now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I remember this announcement. I'm pretty sure we covered it. But um, I remember this announcement before it was made, and I, for it to be the first uh, trans superhero on, like, television, or even in movies, right, if I'm not correct, is what you just said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's, like, the first trans, quote-unquote, superhero throughout everything. So that's amazing for a network television show for the CW, for Supergirl to even do right now. I thought that that was just fantastic that they even um, did this casting. I will admit that I haven't watched Supergirl, which is too bad because I heard that um, John Cryer actually did a really good job as Lex Luthor. But yeah, I think this is a fantastic way to start off the list because it is not um, a representation that we see very often in film and TV in general, not just even 
the superhero realm. So for them to put that in, and it looks like she has a pretty consistent role in the show, even though, of course, it's about Supergirl. So as you said, she's not going to be developed that much. But, you know, first of all, the costume looks great. It's just absolutely fantastic. And kudos to CW. I'm not sure if we're going to get into this a little later, but I'm just going to throw it out there right now. With the fact that they not only have Nicole Maine um, as Dreamer in Supergirl, but that they are having Batwoman, the first uh, lesbian-led superhero show um, on TV, and it, that is going to be by – the actress is going to be Ruby Rose. That's absolutely fantastic. I think that um, certainly it's a step towards the right direction. I think even – and now I'm just kind of like spitballing right now, and you can – absolutely correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they did also cast a trans individual for the next season of Titans. Did you hear anything about that? Yes. Yes. So in Titans, they casted Deathstroke's son, Jericho, as a deaf trans male. It's it's a really weird combination. I was I was really shocked when I saw it. But then I, did, I also didn't know Jericho at the time, and I read up on the character. Jericho in the comics is deaf, so they wanted a deaf person in real life. But then he was also transgender. So I thought it was pretty ballsy that they brought in two almost outcasts to uh, the network TV realm and put them into one character. And I can't wait to see it, not only because it's Titans and they're bringing Deathstroke, and it might get canceled after season two, but, <laughs> I don't know, the, I, I love, the actor looks cool. Like, he's got the looks. I don't know, I've never seen, I think this is his first gig, too. His first acting role, and I'm excited. That's all I know. Which makes sense, because everyone on Titans is a little on the young side. So, for them to bring in an actor who is young and to do that role, I think, obviously, it's a great role for an actor to really cut his teeth on. So I'm excited to see how this is going to go. Um, Yes, like, who knows what's going to happen to Titans after season two with the whole DC Universe app, but that's a conversation for another time. So um, Ryan, really, really great choice for the top ten. I'm going to take the number nine slot. I you know, I kind of want to, like, keep within the DC universe, um, DC superhero type of realm, even though I think that it's yeah. probably a little, like, lower on the list. But, you know, as we always say, these top tens aren't very, you know, in order. We just kind of shout them out, and it's okay. So yeah. I, I am going to put um, Danny the Street uh, for my number nine from Doom Patrol. Uh, as a sentient, uh, non-binary, genderqueer, uh, like, uh, moving street. I I forget, like, the whole entire thing that they say, which is probably bad on my end. But not only just the character, Danny, the street, but everything that, like, he or they, I'm so sorry, I'm even messing up the pronouns right now, that they, uh, you know, like, comprise of because... If you don't watch Doom Patrol, there is literally a character that is a street, um, a moving street that, and they are called Danny, 
And as I just said, they are a sentient, non-binary, genderqueer person, uh, street. So not only do you have Danny, but Danny has all these people who live on the street called the Danny's Inns. And it is just this, like, beautiful place where all, like, the quote-unquote outcasts can live and really be themselves. We even see in one of the episodes called Danny Patrol, in Doom Patrol, that there is an agent from the Bureau of Normalcy, which their whole gig is to just eliminate everything that they deem weird and abnormal. And the agent finds that he loves it so much being a Danny's in that he abandons the Bureau of Normalcy and decides to embrace who he really is on the inside, and that is the drag queen morally corrupt. And you just have this, like, amazing just vibe there because everyone is being who they want. You have morally corrupt, embracing who she is, being fabulous, and then you even have Larry who has been so reclusive and in on himself because not only does is he bandaged up from being horrifically burned, but because he is gay and he is from the 60s where it was completely not accessible at all. People were being killed for being homosexual. So he just has a lot of reservations about being who he is and from meeting morally corrupt and meeting Danny, it seems like he's kind of getting a little out of his shell. I know that that one scene where he is singing on top of the stage with um, Morley and a bunch of other drag queens was kind of all in his head. But the fact that that was something that maybe he was even feeling on the inside, I thought was really amazing and beautiful to showcase. And then if we see when Larry goes back to Danny, he's overjoyed pretty much to see Danny and Danny is overjoyed to see Larry again and see everyone. So I just think that um, it's a fantastic like representation and character that it's not only how amazing of a character Danny is, but amazing how they seem to just bring the best out of everyone and help people be who they are on the inside. So I'm definitely going to put for my number nine, uh, Danny the Street from Doom Patrol. Ryan, if you want to give me your thoughts on my pick. So honestly, when you said Danny the Street, I completely forgot that they identified Danny as like a gender queer. And I was like, holy shit, that's right. They did that. And I can't agree more because one, Danny's just fucking awesome. First of all, such a sweetheart. What can I say? I love I love Danny. Doesn't do doesn't see no evil, doesn't do no evil. That's all I know. But um like you said, it's a Danny's a gender queer street Danny the street, yeah, Danny the street is a gender queer who is pretty much accepting a hundred percent of the time. Like you said with the agent of normalcy guy, he just he knew he was hunting him down, but because he knew that he wasn't being who he truly was. He still let him in, no matter what his intention for coming after Danny was. And, I mean, this is kind of hard to describe at the same time, since Danny is not a technical, quote-unquote, character. But they really, I don't know, it's hard, because you have, like, Larry, who who's gay, and he, he confronts all his feelings about being gay. When Danny has been 
just accepting. He's never let anyone scare him or put him down. He's all about happiness. He's all about living the life you want and not what other people want or need you to be. And honestly, that's probably the best way to sum it up. Danny is true to himself rather than true to other people. Right, absolutely. That was just like the amazing thing about Danny. And I understand what you mean when you say Danny isn't real because when you first like hear of the whole it's a street, but first, I don't know, like, and you know how much I love Doom Patrol. I will, like, uh, Juwan said at some point that they might as well be paying me at this point because of how much I, like, talk about I know. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It'll simmer down at some point, I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> to me, it really felt like Danny was an actual character. And when they went back to Danny, I thought that was the most amazing thing. I was so happy. And Danny truly cares about the people who live uh, within the street because even at the end of the season, um, they evacuate everyone because they know how um, how dangerous it's going to become. So I just I, I loved Danny. I loved the whole representation, what it did for Larry and his uh, confidence and getting Larry out of his shell in general, because that is like, that was someone who was so reclusive and so in denial of who he really was. And he needed for, he needed to see that there was a community of people who just loved being who they were and weren't afraid of being who they were. And also that like yeah. and yeah. and also also that end scene of uh, morally corrupt kicking the ass of that guy from the Bureau of Normalcy was just so flawless. I absolutely loved it. I just uh, wrote an article on Danny Patrol, so I think that's another reason why I probably want to put that down as number nine. But that's just me. Um, I guess we can truck right along and get back to you, Ryan, with the number seven slot. So since we're on Doom Patrol, you know I had to mention it. You know it was coming. But I've actually said this in, like, every single show we've had for, like, the past three or four weeks since Doom Patrol ended. But um, honestly, Larry is probably one of the best personally. I find Larry as one of the best LGBTQ representatives in television and film, to be honest. Now, you might ask me, Oh, Ryan, he's only been in one season. Oh, Ryan, shut the fuck up and listen. That's all I'm saying. But they really capture what what it's like to be LGBTQ in society then compared to now. Because back then, it was pretty much outlawed, and you get your head put on a stick for liking another man or liking another female when you're the same sex. And... It shows that when you've grown up in that time and you come out now, because there are still people that have that grew up in the 50s, 60s when it was like that, that are still alive now that have not come out, that it puts this mentality in their head that it's not right and they're afraid to come out because they don't know how people will see them or how you even see yourself. And if you bottle up all these feelings and hiding who you truly are, then you're not truly living your life. You're not truly doing what you were meant to be. Because like Larry, he held the burden of no one knowing he was gay. 
he held the burden of hiding from his family, his two kids and his wife, because he felt so ashamed of himself that he thought he was mentally fucked up and he was not meant to be in this position. And the, all these thoughts go throughout people that grew up in a society where it wasn't accepting. Now, today is a little bit different, yes, but there are still people that do struggle with it because you have, I don't need to get into religion, but you have different religions that kind of call it a sin. Then you have people not want to come out in those religions because they will have family that care more about religion than they do about their own family. Because we've seen it a bunch of times already where parents will say, you're a sin and get out of my house. And it strikes the fear into people. And I'm not saying Larry has all this religious stuff, but it, it just goes to show that people struggle. And people grow with that struggle, whether that's growing in a bad way or growing in a good way. And showing how Larry grew was probably the best way that they've shown that people can grow through the situation. And to be honest, I almost put Larry as my choice, but I had a feeling that if I didn't, you were going to mention him as well. So <laughs> I'm just that. <laughs> I remember when we did the top 10 best moments in Doom Patrol, and you had mentioned the one scene between Larry and John when John was older and how powerful that scene was with Larry finally hearing that John you know, went on to have, like, a really great life and found someone that he really loved. And I think to Larry that showed that John wasn't afraid to be who he was, even during those times. So Larry especially shouldn't be afraid of who he is now in this modern time. And absolutely, we still very much struggle um, with many people who are not accepting of the LGBTQ um, especially since then, I'm not going to get too much into it, but people who are online going, well, where's the straight pride parade? And it's like, oh, I just... Oh, dude, that's so that. ridiculous. I was reading <laughs> on that earlier. I, can't, I actually laughed so fucking hard when I read that. No lie. It's so ridiculous. They showed certain celebrities like Chris Evans, because Chris Evans is very outspoken against uh, yeah, you know, people that. who say shit like that, and he said something, and a few other people said shit, and it's like, just go sit down. Whatever you think about that, <laughs> just go sit down about that. Um, but Larry just is a fantastic, because I think that it was really important to show that all these years later, he still struggles with it. And we got to see within the first season him coming out of, you know, and accepting every everything about himself, not just the fact that he's gay, but also the fact that he has this negative spirit living within him and having to learn how to work together with him. And I did also, and I know this is such a small little scene, but I did love in therapy patrol when Larry went to go talk and Cliff instantly was like, yeah, you're gay. We all love you. It's okay. And I know that was like a little thing and it's kind of easy to brush off being like, oh, Cliff is such an idiot. But I feel like just for that to be like so like small but accepting, like you're like family here. Everyone loves you. You don't have to hide who you actually are. So I think that that was important. And Larry is was such a great um, character to have this growth with. And hopefully if people are watching it, 
they can show, they can see, like, yes, it, it's probably, not probably, it is difficult, um, you know, to, to go on that journey pretty much because there's such aversion still out there, but that you will find people who love you. And even if it's not, say, your biological family, you will find a family that accepts you and loves you for who you are. So I think that was really important with Larry's character on Doom Patrol. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So excellent choice with Larry. Um, just apparently this is going to become like another Doom Patrol thing, but no, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to put, all right, I guess I'll have the uh, number seven slot. And I don't know, do you watch, I think you said you didn't, but did you watch um, uh, Black Mirror at all? Are you talking about the the season five episode one? No, 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 not that. It's the previous season. I, I think it is. The, so with three. the last season, all I w- watched was the Star Trek episode. I actually loved that episode. That was not that was what I thought it was. Gonna... I, ahead, I don't mean to get like sidetracked, but I I personally don't get the buzz over Black Mirror. But I guess we can actually use the newest first episode with Anthony Mackie since it's technically a quote-unquote type of LGBTQ episode, I guess you can say. I don't really know. Hold up. Sorry. You get there, Ryan? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I just cut off for a second. But, like, like I was saying, so if any of you have not watched the episode, just spoiler alert to – I know some people, but, um, so in the episode, you've obviously watched it here. You have two best friends that reconcile with each other years later after not being friends anymore. One friend is a fuck boy and the other one is not happy in his marriage. Simple as that. And when they come back together, they start playing this VR game. And it's not only just a VR game, but it's like, um, a ready player one esque VR game where you're teleported into the game and you can physically feel something, talk, smell, and all that, like, human shit. And when they're playing, they start having sex. But the characters they're playing as is like a Mortal Kombat-type game. Well, one best friend, the fuckboy, is a female who is played by the woman who plays Mantis in Avengers and MCU. And then you have Ludi Lin, I believe his name is. He was the black Power Ranger in the newest Power Rangers movie fighting, and then they start having sex in the virtual world. And throughout the episode, they they kind of have this back and forth. Uh, do they really love each other in real life physically like that? And they even go to the point at the end of the episode where they kiss, and they realize it's not that. And throughout the whole episode, I kind of got this message that they were they were trying to push this whole LGBTQ message, but I kind I want to say I feel like they did it poorly, honestly, because you have Anthony's Ma- Anthony Mackie's character who's questioning if he's gay, when in reality he is having sex with a female, if you know what I mean. He the it, it's a female body, it's a female voice, who's just being controlled by a male. That's all it is, and there's nothing there that tells me that he's actually attracted to a man. On the other side, though, I feel like the best friend that's the fuckboy. I, I, his name is so hard to pronounce. 
So that's why I'm not pronounced. I keep saying fuck boy. That his character might actually be gay because he's still having sex with a male. So they try to go with this back and forth. I personally didn't like it, and it kind of left me on a sour note, so I haven't watched any episodes after that. So I heard Smithereens was pretty good, but I haven't heard anything about the um, Miley Cyrus episode. So I'll get sidetracked for a second because that actually wasn't going to be the episode that I was going to say. Smithereens was really good, but not at all really Black Mirror-esque because Black Mirror in general has this, um, always has this, like, insane, like, fucked up twist at the end, right? And it completely blows yeah. your mind. And, they, and they've and they been able to do that in many episodes beforehand, but this season did not deliver at all. I really didn't like Anthony Matthews' um, episode. I mean, I saw, like, Dude, you I know, thought it was so bad. Yeah. And, it was and boring. It was boring. The whole, and the Miley Cyrus one is boring, too. I see people online are acting so incredibly shook over this season. I'm like, then you clearly haven't watched the previous seasons because if this has you shook, the rest will blow your mind. Um, so that, to me, is just like, and like with you said, the Star Trek F1, USS Callister, that blew my mind oh, because when that, you find out that that, that was like... That scared the shit out of me. That right. scared the shit out of me a little bit. And that's typical Black Mirror, but you don't get any of that from the three episodes that are in season five. So um, I guess at this point then, Ryan, that what I'm going to say is spoiler alert. So I'm sorry if uh, – I'm sorry that you haven't seen it, but I'm going to spoil it right now. So I'm going to pick – Yeah, it's fine. Uh, I'm going to pick for mine. It's called uh, San Junipero. That's the episode. I believe it was in season three. So you pretty much see these two women um, meet each other at a club, and they're obviously into each other. One is, like, really just, like, out there, fabulous, and all that, and the other is very shy and stuff like that. Well, the twist is that you find out that that itself is virtual reality because um, when you get older... Well, when you get older, it's one of those things where you can choose that when you die, your, um, like, personality and your, like, mind, yeah, goes into this other world. So you find out that the girl who – you first find out that the woman who's the very energetic and outgoing one is still alive, but she's very old, but she's planning on when she dies not having her mind go to that. She's just going to die. But the one who is very shy, you find out that she has been in a coma since she was a young woman because she's gay in real life and her parents never accepted her. And during like this whole thing, she got into a car accident and ended up being in like um, a coma. So this is the only way that she's ever gotten to like express herself. And the thing with the other woman is, like, she's pretty much bisexual, but she was married to a man for some odd years, and the man passed away. And so she's like, you know, when I die, I want to be with my husband. But they have this, like, romance go on throughout the season, and they love each other, and it's like the struggle of the shy one wants the other one to make sure that her, you know, her soul pretty much goes into this virtual reality when she dies because they want to be together, but the outgoing one is like, no, I'm going to let, you know, things happen when it happens. You know, like when I die, that's going to be it. So it's this whole, like, beautiful, 
like struggle between the two um, and just really heartbreaking and bittersweet at times and shit like that. Um, but at the end of the episode, when the shy one is just kind of sitting there thinking like, this is it, I guess, like, you know, I'll, I'll never meet someone like her ever again. You see her like pulling up in a car because she decided to get her mind put into this thing so that she could be with the other girl. So it's just like this awesome, like awesome love story between these two women in the San Junipero. And I think, and if you're like a Black Mirror fan, it's definitely one of those um, episodes that's praised by pretty much everyone. And almost one of the only Black Mirror episodes that has an actual happy ending because like at least 95% of them do not have a happy ending. So I wanted to put out um, San Junipero I mean, as te- my choice. Technically speaking, you can say that the Anthony Mackie episode kind of had a have a good had a good ending in retrospect. You can say. I guess you can. I they guess you know, can say like they all know what they want. Prior to season five, I guess you should say. I'm telling you, you watch the rest of the series. Like some of those will blow your mind. I could give you a list after this of the episodes that you should watch that will, like, be an absolute mindfuck. But I just Wait, love so, the San Junipero. Sorry, go ahead. So all I'm saying is to watch Smithereens, but then completely ignore the Miley Cyrus episode. Yes? It was just, uh, should I do that? It was, just, it was just boring. It was really boring. And I have nothing against Miley Cyrus. I was one of those people that, like, when she first chopped off her hair and got a bunch of tattoos, that I was like, yeah, good for her. She's getting away from that whole, like, you know, Hannah Montana thing. Good girl but, persona, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was, like, cool with that. And so it's nothing, like, against her. I'm not saying that her acting was bad or anything. It was just, like, the episode itself was, like, shit. And there really was none of that. Like, the whole point of Black Mirror is, like, almost showing you, like, how dangerous technology can be and the advancements what? of all of that and, like, AI and shit. But, like, to me, that really wasn't conveyed at all in – uh, season five, so that's the whole thing. But based on what I told you of San Junipero, would you say that that would be like a good representation of LGBT in television? I mean, honestly, yeah, that sounds like a really good example of the LGBT community in TV and film and all that. So I completely agree. I mean, there's not much for else for me to say since I've never seen it personally. Like I said, I I wasn't the biggest uh, um, Black Mirror fan. I I watched the first episode of the first season, the USS McAllister episode, maybe one episode season three, and then the Anthony Mackie episode. And personally, I don't get what the buzz is about the show. Yeah, the USS McAllister episode was a really good episode. But other than that, I thought every other episode I've watched is pretty much whack. And honestly... It, it sucks since it's gone over to Netflix. The Netflix, they make it look really good, but the writing is just so bad. It's so bad. You know what I'll say? Um, in a way, and this is going to sound weird, but like Black Mirror originated, I believe, on BBC. In BBC. So, in BBC. Yeah. yeah. So all, so all of the episodes that kind of have like British writers and take place like obviously in the UK are much better than any time they have an episode with like Americans in it. 
they obviously have different yeah. writers in that in that case, and it shows. Like it obviously shows to it. Like, I don't want to. If say, people want to like, know how fucked up the British people were when they created the show, literally all you have to do is watch the first episode. Within the first five minutes, they try to bribe someone to fuck a pig and post it online. That is literally season one in a nutshell. No, well, it's like the, it's season one in a nutshell. <laughs> Um, season one, actually, also, there's one episode where Daniel Kaluuya's in it. Like, a few people throughout the series have all British that actors. you're like, oh, shit, it's all British actors. But they're the best episodes. Like, they're the ones with the most, like, yeah. mind-fucked mind episodes. So, I, I'm just saying that. But don't let, before I, like, hand it the baton over to you again, I will say, do not base all of Black Mirror on the fifth season because... The fifth season is like, like, what? What are my examples? Like, the, the fifth season is like knockoff Gucci, and the rest of the series is like actual Gucci. If that makes sense, that's how I feel like it. Yeah, it's, and the problem is, like, I don't know if anyone knows this, but like the consistent, the consistency. Oh fuck, I can't speak. The consistency with the amount of episodes they put in each season is awful. It it's taken them two, three years to create three episodes, and th- from what I get, the Miley Cyrus one is really bad, and the 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 one we're talking about now is really bad, and the only decent one is decent one is Smithereens, and it's taken them three years to write these three episodes, and two of them are just poor writing. So I and, really question what Netflix are doing, to be honest. And Smithereens is the UK episode takes place in, like, England. So just saying there, it's a good episode as far as, like, acting-wise. Like, it's really emotional. But, you know, this I will move on from my criticism yeah, of Black and I'm going to – as I said, I'm going to pass the baton over to you, Ryan, for the number six slot. All right, so I hate to do this. It's going to be another superhero TV show, but I feel like I'm glad we're doing uh, superhero TV shows because I feel like they've represented them the characters the best, in my opinion. But um, so I don't know if you know this, Tia, but you know the character, um, fuck on the Flash, Oh, dude. What's his name? What's his name? Oh, oh God, not Mr. Freeze. Watch the class. Oh, my God. Oh, he was Captain in season Cold. one. He, Captain, Captain Cold, Cold. Captain Cold. I, dude, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember his name. So, you know Captain Cold in, in The Flash, right? Right, by Wentworth Miller. Yeah. So, did you ever watch the Nazi crossover, the, the Crisis on Earth X? Or um, no. the War on Earth X. So in that crossover, they have his doppelganger from Earth X, the Nazi-ridden Earth, come over to the show, and it turns out he is a gay character in a marriage with the Ray. And uh, this shocked me fucking completely because at this point, Captain Cold had already died on the first season of The Legends of Tomorrow. And he'd already said that he was not coming back for the show because he wanted to try a new thing. And first off, I didn't know the guy in real life was gay. I never knew he was a gay gay guy. 
And that, that took me by surprise a little bit. And then they made a fan favorite character gay, which I found kind of ballsy. But what I like what they do with this character is all they did was make him like men. They didn't change his personality. They didn't change who he is. They literally only said, instead of liking females, he likes men. And it shows that because a lot of people believe that if you're gay, it changes someone's mindset and who they are. When that isn't true. In the show, they show you you can be the same person, you just like the same sex. And this show does a perfect representation of that. And I can't be, and it's with a character that we've known and loved for like years at this point. So in order for them to flip it over our heads with this character, I thought it was brilliant. Sorry about that. The, um, again, the sirens always in the background, but yes. Yeah, so I've heard them. Even, <laughs> even though I haven't watched that event, I did know that that's what they did with him, right? Um, big fan of Wentworth Miller, Miller because of Prison Break, right? So when they brought yeah, him on, like him. The, when they brought him on as Captain Cold, I loved it because he's so snarky, he was so sarcastic, he's such like a badass, and he's one of those like bad guys that could kind of like also teeter into doing the right thing. And his like um, one-on-ones with Barry were just fantastic, right? And it was super disappointing yeah, that he. It was super disappointing when he was killed off in Legends of Tomorrow. But as you said, it seemed like he wasn't going to come back. And the fact that they decided to make his doppelganger gay, um, and in a marriage with another character, and having like just these two men kiss on again CW, which is so freaking amazing, was just such a great decision on their part, and they could do it so easily, right? Because I believe, if I'm not wrong, that in Legends of Tomorrow, they were kind of alluding to, like, a romantic relationship between uh, Captain Cold and a female character, right? What was her name again? White Canary or something like that? They like yeah, White at Canary, some point. White right. So, instead, yeah, White so, so pretty much they brought the doppelganger in, and they were like, this is, all right, so on this, uh, you know, reality – he is in a relationship with a man. And as you said, they didn't change his personality at all. He's still the same. And that was so great to see and so smart on their part that they decided to even do that. We didn't have like, oh, he acts differently. And this is obviously the different, you know, character, blah, blah, blah. But I absolutely love that. I think that that was really great. And also, you know, a lot of, um, for a long time, a lot of gay actors, when they first come into Hollywood, can't um, say that they're gay because they're afraid that they won't get as many roles. So they have to not, you know, ever portray uh, who they really are. So for, you know, Wentworth, a gay actor, to be able to play a gay man on a CW superhero show is just so groundbreaking. And I'm really glad that they decided to do that. And you know, I, I really like the character of Captain Cold, and I know that Wentworth maybe wants to do other things, probably the next season of Prison Break, if I heard correctly, but I really hope Yeah, but you're like a season six. But you're in a season six, which is a little insane in on itself, but that's, that's that. But I really hope that Captain Cold decides to come back in uh, the CW Arrowverse. Totally. Do we know? Do we know if there's any plans or no? That was like 
he came back just no, for that, he, and that was it. After that, and I think one other episode where they pulled him from the past, let in season four of The Flash towards the end of the season, I think that was his last role, last time playing the character because he wanted to move on and try different things. Well, um, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen on that part? But, yeah, um, that's it. always switched my mind, so you, know, you should never really believe what you're told at this point. That is very true. That is very true. And my mom just actually just texted me saying that uh, Sarah is a lesbian on Legends of Tomorrow. Um, yeah, is. Is that why can All right. She actually, she fucked Supergirl's sister. Boom. In that crossover. <laughs> and I there, also there you go, Tia's mom. Well, I was going to say it, that, yeah, and Supergirl's sister is gay. So, you know, kudos to CW for doing, like, more for, like, you know, LGBT representation in the superhero realm that, like, any but other, like, has done it, ever. But don't you find it kind of odd that most of the LGBTQ community in their shows are all females? I just find it kind of odd. Not saying anything, I just find it really odd that it's only females for now, pretty much. Well... In my personal opinion, I think that the people who are behind these um, studios think think that it's a little easier for them to do that other than bringing in a gay man, which is why because, it will be. But I find that very odd to you because you know you know who Greg Berlanti is, right? Mm. He's the I, I he's the one who's created all the DC TV shows. And he's a gay man himself, so I find it kind of odd that they're doing more females than males, but that's just me. But like you were saying well, before, yeah, it's probably just easier to do it for women. Well, he may have created these, but you have to understand they're on a network so that he has to still, you know, adhere to what, say, the network tells him to do. So I think that they're probably the ones that may be making these type of decisions. That's why I think that for um, the Eternals, where they say that there's going to be a gay male in the Eternals, and it's going to be, you know, the first, like, you know, main outwardly gay uh, character in the MCU, that's going to be groundbreaking. And I can't wait for it to piss a bunch of, you know, hateful people off because it's just going to be hilarious and hear them complain. I already saw something um, online. I'm not going to call anyone specifically out, but when we posted um, an article where Kevin Feige says that they're going to look to do more LGBT representation moving forward, people are like, oh, who asked for this? And it's like, you know what? Like, no one makes a comment when we have a million straight people in a movie. But guess what? There are gay people out there, and they deserve to be represented as well. And that's my two cents on that. Yeah. Fair enough, I would say. <laughs> No, talking actually talking about the LGBT and Marvel. Yeah, there's really none. I will admit, but I found it kind of weird that if no one's seen Avengers Endgame again, which is you're one in a fucking gazillion at this point. In the scene in the beginning where Captain America's holding the recovery group, the 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 self-assessment group, whatever you want to call it, of everyone talking about their lives post-nap, 
Um, there's two cameos in that scene. One from, I forgot his name, the creator of Thanos in the comics. He's the guy with the glasses. And Joe Russo, who plays right. the first, quote-unquote, openly gay character. And I, I swear to God, I've never seen anything like it on social social network, bro. On Twitter, all you saw was first Marvel gay character. And he literally only said a few lines about how we started going on a date again. And I I find it so weird that everyone just made this huge thing out of a two-second role, pretty much, talking about how he started dating again after his husband or boyfriend got snapped in the quote-unquote destination, as they like to call it. And, yes, it, it shows you that Marvel needs to put more LGBTQ uh, members in the movies. But yet, I'm one of those people, I, I, I don't care. Um, I, I support the LGBT community and all that. They, they need their roles in, in fucking films and stuff like that. But there's so many things that I, I don't want this to come off like the wrong way. So I don't want anyone to get mad or anything. But like, a bunch of characters are straight from the comics. So let's take Dreamer. For example, have you ever heard of Dreamer in the comics, Tia? Because I sure should have. Because no. is she even in the comics? First of all, yeah, yeah, she's in the comics. Is, so I've never heard is, of her. Is it, a, is it a female character or a trans character in the comics? I cannot. I know. cannot tell you because you know I'm not the biggest comic book reader. Yeah, neither am I. That's the that's the thing. So I'm just gonna make an assumption that it was a female and not a trans character, just based off of the time that she was probably introduced. And it's it's as simple as just saying that they went through transition, but the difference between Dreamer and you have these big MCU times is these characters are very well known for their backstories. Meanwhile, Dreamer, no one's heard about her, so they can do whatever they want. And then you have these people that are comic book diehards, you change one thing. Like, take the Mandarin, for example. Everyone hated that plot twist. Me included, because they felt like it ruined the character. I didn't I didn't like it for that reason. I just liked it for, didn't like it for other reasons. But you have these comic book diehards, where if you don't go buy the source material, then it's not worth their time. And I feel like if they, let's just say they made Captain America transgender, female into a male. I feel like Marvel would have gotten a lot of shit from the the comic book fanboys out there. Oh, that's not who Captain America is. Because we've had those arguments in the past with people that are the same sex at birth. So I feel like there's a lot of issues when it goes into these comic book extremists, if you know what I mean. Well, what I'll say to that is they did make the biggest deal that they were having the first openly gay character um, in Avengers Endgame, and to me it felt like a cop-out. You had someone in there yeah. for two seconds. He wasn't playing a superhero. It was literally just a cameo, and he mentioned, and yeah, I mean, I did like that it was the um, casualness of it, because that's how it should be. You know, he just said he, and everything rolled with that, and it should be as simple as that, but that wasn't enough of an impact to really say, like, oh, this is great representation here. The thing is, like, in the Marvel Universe, and, you know, we'll see how it plays out with the Eternals, but we've not had that yet. And 
in the shows, right? Because as you said, it seems like more of the shows take care to represent that than anything else. But in the Marvel Netflix shows, we had uh, Jerry Hogarth, who was gender swapped from the comics. The character was originally a male in the comics. I forget his name. So they made her a female, but they also made her a lesbian. So you you have that. And then you have in Luke Cage season two, where pretty much they're alluding that Shades and the other guy, which I forget his name, that they had some sort of relationship um, when they were locked up. So in reality, those are the only those two like moments of representation in the Marvel uh, universe as a whole, pretty much. So that's definitely something that they have to work on moving forward. And you're going to get a lot of pushback from people who, as you said, are absolutely diehard fans of the comics who can't bear to see if there's any deviation from what they grew up with. I mean, it's the same people exactly. who, it's the same people, and I'll never forget this, who freaked out because Idris Elba was cast as Hemdall in the four movies. And they were like, oh. Was that really black. an issue? Yes, I remember, like, I, seeing I and, like, that. as it. And, like, at that point, like, you know, the MCU had just started, but people were like, oh, my God, they casted a black guy to be in, in uh, Thor, and this is, you know, Norse mythology. They're white. And I'm like, it's also a comic book. It's also that technically they're aliens and shit like that. You know, they're on another planet. Like, you're going to tell me that this makes so much of a difference to you. And in the end, he didn't even have that big of a part. So you guys all got pissed off for nothing. So it's just like yeah, they're just wasting their time and energy at this point. Exactly, exactly. But we're gonna move right along because we got a few more spots to still fill. So I'm gonna pick the number five spot, and it's gonna you're gonna kind of laugh, I think, at this. It's not comic book, but I was trying to look and see, and you know, I tried to really see like good representation. And I'm finding that it was a little difficult to actually find characters to really and stuff to really talk about, which, you know, Hollywood, we need to work on that. Like, get on it right away, please. Um, Just because I was like, "Ah, this is making my job incredibly difficult right now. But do you watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Yes, I love that show. Oh, Rosa. It's about Rosa. I'm not talking about Rosa. No. Rosa, is it Rosa? Isn't she? Is she gay in it? Because I haven't gotten to that part yet. Oh, then oh, you're talking about Hulk, right? I'm I'm talking about Hulk. Well, I just spoiled it for you. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's perfectly okay. I'm still I'm still on like the second season. All right, cool. I mean, I have no problem with that. Um, but I am picking Raymond, Captain Raymond Polk from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Because, first of all, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the funniest shit I've seen. Like, I just, I just started recently watching that show. I just, like, never got it. But it's on it's Hulu. Amazing. It's just such, it's perfect. Can you believe they canceled it on, on, a, on Fox? Can you just believe that? Um, Fox cancels everything good. Yeah. Like, I know. That's why. 
Fox That's Chandler, but thank the Lord the NBC God saved it. Thank God. Exactly. So Captain Raymond Holt, um, first of all, the fact that in the first episode, right, like uh, Amy was kind of like, I think he's gay. Not Amy. Was it her who said it? Anyway, and it's like, okay, he was like, yes, I am a gay man. And that is really it. You don't have any of his people under him who question, like, oh, he's gay, our boss is gay. Like, there's not even a big deal. They just, okay, he's gay, he has a husband, and that's it, right? They still respect him. They look up to him. You know, it's a family, essentially. And the way that they, like, really portray his healthy relationship with him and his husband, like, is just absolutely amazing. And I do love that Holt does remind people that when he first got into the police force that there was that whole don't ask, don't tell thing and that it was difficult for him to rise through the ranks because he was gay. But, you know, and it's important for him to remember that that's where he came from. But as a whole in the series, it's just like I love that it's such a nonchalant thing that none of the people who work for him make a big deal out of. He is the most respected person among the squad. And I just have to give it up to the actor for playing, like, the funniest character because he's so, like... He's so literal. He's so literal. He's so literal. But then you have those moments where he's like, oh, that's actually funny. And so that, like, he's such a fantastic character on the series and just the fact that they were like this is a gay man and you know we're not afraid like first episode in to you know establish that the the captain of this police squad is a gay man and nothing weird comes from it at all and that's so important because you always have to have like the things like people make a big deal out of it you know and blah blah blah, blah. and to me I had to put uh, Captain Holt for the number five for Brooklyn Nine-Nine just because if you're not watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you should watch it. But um, Ryan, pure comedy gold. what do you think of me picking uh, Raymond Holt for my number five pick? I think it was really good simply because of the fact they make it so short and sweet that it's almost like we've, we're, we've accepted it that we're not shocked to this point anymore in history. Like, Oh, you're a gay character? Cool. Okay, that's it. We never mention it again. Well, they mention it, but they, they don't make a big deal out of it. Like I said, not to be a Debbie Downer or a spoiler, but with Rosa, they go more in-depth on her sexuality. They go more on people, oh, my God, you're, you're straight, you're bi, you're lesbian, with her more so than they do with Hulk. And I kind of like how they contrast a little bit. They got the two gay, act, the two gay characters. One... People are not shocked, and they're like, whatever. But then you have another one that comes out a few seasons later. And it's like, well, holy shit. What, what was it like? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So they make much more of a big of a deal because they've known that person uh, compared to when they just met a person. They just found out they, they were gay. So they do a great representation of that, in my opinion. Yeah. And I haven't gotten to those Rosa episodes yet, but it's totally fine. Um, I I just think that this show in general is such a fantastic show in representation. They have a extremely diverse cast. You have 
you know, a few Latino women, uh, Latina, sorry, uh, you know, you have the African-American characters, you have the, the, you know, the gay representation, you have all of that, and it's pure comedy gold, and you just have these fantastic, um, you know, actors in it, and I just think that it's certainly, if people are sleeping on it, they absolutely shouldn't, as you said, Fox is a dumbass for canceling the show, but that's what they do. They cancel everything that's on their <laughs> network. So is that really a surprise? Not at all. Um, but Not yeah, really. So I probably, after this, I'm going to watch some Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, Ryan, I'm going to shoot over to you again for the number four slot for our top ten LGBT representation. All right, we're going to go to a Netflix movie called Alex Strangelove. Have you ever heard of it? Sorry, I put myself yeah. on mute. No, I've never heard of it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm completely fine with spoilers. So I, I, It's your basic rom-com, teen com, romance movie about a kid coming out, pretty much. It's pretty self-forward. But what I like about this film is, you have a, I think he's 18 in the, in the movie. He's an 18-year-old virgin boy who's been dating the same girl for three years but has never really wanted to have sex with her. And on his 18th birthday is when they plan to have sex for the first time. And as they're about to have sex, he's feeling really awkward about it. He's feeling uncomfortable, yada, yada, yada. And then in the next few scenes, he runs into this cute guy, to this guy he finds attractive. And so throughout the whole movie, it's about him going back and forth, whether he's in love with this girl or he'd rather be with this guy. And I don't remember what happened at the end of the movie, but I'm pretty sure he chose the guy at the end because for whatever reasons. But I think they do a great representation about the struggle of being a, a gay teen in a straight relationship. And they really show you the struggle of being in a straight relationship, knowing you're gay trying to accept it by disguising it as bisexuality and then finally confronting it in the end and people accepting it. And what is this movie called again? Alex Strangelove. Alex Strangelove. I've never heard of that, but um, yeah, I think that when you have, and this is something that I am sure that so many um, gay teens go through because, as we all know, kids in high school are absolutely brutal. So coming out of, you know, coming out to people in high school just has to be the hardest thing. And so you, and then maybe you are just so confused because you grew up in an environment where that was like not acceptable. So you're, you know, fooling yourself into thinking that you are a straight individual and you know, dating someone of the opposite sex just to, you know, not only convince other people, but to convince yourself. So that's kind of what, like, that sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, is there anyone in the movie that is, like, a known actor or anything like that? Or it's just, like, kind of, not like, really. new people? It's, it's just a bunch of, like, completely new people. You know how Netflix is and they're, like, fucking romance, teen comedies. It's a bunch of nobodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But, I mean, it sounds like something that, you know, is probably what young people should be watching just so that maybe they could also find the strength to just be themselves, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. 
Okay, awesome, awesome. I'm sorry that I haven't seen it, so I can't really make like much no, commentary about it. I know the struggle. I know the struggle. <laughs> Don't you worry. Yeah, that happened like earlier. I was doing a show with Juwan and Nick, and there were a few things that they were talking about, and I was like, I have no idea about any of that. Like, sorry, I can't make a comment right now. <laughs> That's pretty much how it was. And I was like, oops, my bad, guys. Um, <laughs> but all right, I guess then I will hit the number third slot, and I, I suppose that this is probably a – cliche in the whole like LGBT realm but I'm going to put it out anyway because it's one of the best movies that I've ever seen and I'm going to pick Brokeback Mountain. I was about um, to make that my next choice. I'm Mother sorry. <laughs> You're going to have to That was literally out. my next choice. <laughs> oh my bad because it's only this and something else and so my bad guys but uh yeah, you have Jake Gyllenhaal and the late and great Heath Ledger playing these two characters who are both in heterosexual marriages, and they start working with each other on the mountain, which is why and it's called Grove Mountain. Outside. Yeah, and they and they find that like this is what they really want to do, and you have like Heath Ledger's character who grew up with like a super religious father and you know feels great shame for who he is and they just like decide to like meet there like all the time like and essentially spend that like whatever week month or whatever that they do together and it is like so beautiful and so full of emotions Jake Gyllenhaal is absolutely amazing Heath Ledger was absolutely amazing in it and it just really shows, like, the struggle of not only, like, them wanting to be with each other, but, like, knowing that they couldn't, and then going back to their relationships with their wives and seeing, like, how that kind of took a toll on that as well, because you obviously saw at some point uh, Heath Ledger's character wanting to be in, like, certain sexual positions with his wife that, like, she was uncomfortable with, you know, and it's probably because he was, like, imagining Jake Gyllenhaal in that situation, but then Jake Gyllenhaal's character was a little bit more open, like, him and his wife, Anne Hathaway, um, divorced, and he, you know, just decided to be a little bit more open about who he was when Heath Ledger's character really couldn't ever do that, and it was just this beautiful, like, I cried so much during this movie, I just thought it was so amazing, um, and I didn't see it when it first came out, and I saw it a few years later, and I was like, oh, my God, why did I never see this when it actually came out? Because it was so beautiful. Kudos to both, you know, Gyllenhaal and Ledger for doing the best job during this. And, yeah, so that's going to be my number third pick, and since, Ryan, it was going to be your next pick, I'll let you also talk about it. No, honestly, I I wouldn't say I love this movie, but it is one of the better LGBTQ movies simply because it really focuses on their relationship and nothing else. So I believe the movie is like two hours long. So they, for two hours, they focus on their relationship. And in most LGBTQ movies, they don't do that. They usually focus on the relationship and then side characters have nothing to do with it and have no correlation with them. But this movie just goes straight forward and says, fuck you to every homophobe in the world. And I love it. 
Yeah, and I agree with you because especially when it first came out, which you know what, I'll, as I'm talking, kind of look up, oh, in 2005. Okay, so when in 2005, you know, that doesn't feel like maybe that long ago, but it, the representation Almost is Almost 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah. But, like, it's in the 2000s, and you would think, like, you know, back then that it would have, let's, like, LGBT representation was pretty much at a zero back then. And if it was around, it was not mainstream and it was snickered upon and, you know, criticized and all of that. So to have uh, a movie about two men in love with each other and for it to get the critical acclaim that it actually did was just so telling of the impact that it had in the community. And I really think that um, it made great steps towards like more representation, even though um, we still don't really have as much as we really should be considering as 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and again, I know that that's like cliche to pick Brokeback Mountain because I feel like everyone does, but I couldn't not have it on the list. So um, my number three is, of course, maybe Brokeback Mountain. And, Ryan, I hope that you got a good one for number two. So I have not watched the film, but I've watched clips from the film, so I have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. But the film is Milk. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of it. That is with, um, oh, gosh, Sean Penn, right? Yeah, Sean Penn. Um, I'm just going to read a description of the movie if no one knows what it is. The story of Harvey Milk and his struggle as an American gay activist who fought for gay rights and became California's first only gay elected official. And just reading that synopsis alone just should tell you why this movie is awesome. Now, personally, like I said, I haven't watched it, so I don't know if like directing and acting is all that, but I'm pretty sure Sean Penn won an Academy Award for this role. But this film, how many films or TV shows can you say that an activist has fought for gay rights? Can, um, can you really not, not freaking many. Maybe one or two, but you'd have to search them up. But this film is a feature-length film, well, an hour and 40 minutes, and it, it talks about a struggle. It, it's used in flashback format to tell a story. And I thought it was so brilliantly, brilliantly, I can't fucking talk tonight, kill yourself, Ryan, but it was so brilliantly well done that I'm just like, yo, what the fuck? Why can't we get more of these in our lives? Because personally, I want to know more about, like, gay activism and, like, the Martin... This, I'm just going to say this guy is the Martin Luther King Jr. of the Gay Rights Act, honestly, when it comes down to it. And to be the to be the fucking face of the Gay Rights Act and then become the first openly gay elected official is something that's worth being told. And they told what they needed to be told. Yeah. Um, I know that that film definitely did really well, and Sean Penn, as you said, I believe won some awards for it. And yeah, he won it's some type of award for this film, I remember. Yeah, and it's still something that people talk about, like Harvey Milk and the, um, you know, the the steps forward that he did for, you know, gay activism. 
And as you said, we really don't have a lot out there um, showcasing this because I think about a few years ago, and I'm sorry, my phone is, like, acting all sorts of, like, messed up right now. Um, but <laughs> always something. But um, there was a, a movie a few years ago about the Stonewall riots, and people were really pissed about it because they said that it pretty much, like, erased a lot of what actually happened and kind of made it, you know, a little bit more stream, more mainstream, more Hollywood, because they didn't want to really get down to, like, the nitty-gritty of what the Stonewall riots really were. So they essentially bastardized the film and the event. So besides that, you have MILF, where, um, you know, they are putting it out there, you know, who this man was and how much he meant you know, to the gay community. So I haven't seen the film either, so I can't really, like, say much about it except for the fact that I know that it was widely praised by critics and fans alike. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think that it is a good pick for this uh you know, list that we got going on. And obviously, since it was just the two of us, I think that we kind of – through it a little, um, but that's completely fine. Um, you know, again, this is Pride Month, and we are doing the top 10 best LGBT. L- I can't talk either, Ryan. I don't know what it is about tonight. This is why I like. <laughs> this is why. This is why I like to do my shows in the morning. I'm a little more peppy at this point, but um, this is the top 10 LGBTQ plus representation in film, TV, and comic books. I had put comic books because I thought AJ was going to be with us, but it's perfectly fine. Um, so let's go down the list of what we got until we get the number one slot. So number 10 is Dreamer from season four of Supergirl. Number nine is Danny the Street in Doom Patrol. Number eight is Larry Trainer in Doom Patrol. By the way, um, another thing that's great about the Larry thing is that the actor who plays him, Matt Homer, is actually gay. So, you know, yeah. you have an actual gay actor playing a gay character. Um, and then, so number seven is uh, the episode San Junipero from Black Mirror. Number six is uh, Captain Cold, played by Wentworth Miller in the Arrowverse. Number five is uh, Captain Holt from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Number four is Alex Strangelove, the movie. Number three is Brokeback Mountain. Number two is Milk. And number one, I'm pretty sure that you haven't seen this, um, but oh, yeah. before, you, before you say number one, I want to ask you a question. Did you see Shazam? Yes, I did see Shazam. Oh, I'm interested in seeing where this goes. <laughs> so, I just found out today, I was listening to a movie podcast while walking, and you know the character Pedro, the, the, the sadder sibling, right? The one that doesn't talk about the movie? Yes. Apparently... He's a gay character, I found out. I don't know. They never explained how they knew that, but apparently he's an openly gay character. Just figure I throw it out there because I found it the strangest thing in the world. Really? I mean, they didn't ever touch upon it. He was barely in the movie. Exactly my point. And... Actually, I had, um, like, right before Shazam came out, I had actually interviewed that actor, um, and he never said anything about the fact that he 
was playing a gay character. I mean, we talked about the fact that he, you know, was playing a Latino character, which, you know, we need more of diversity in as far as that goes as well in uh, Hollywood, but he never mentioned anything about that. So I feel like if that is going to be anything, that, that maybe they'll touch upon it in Shazam 2. If there is a Shazam 2, yeah. I don't know if they, if they announced that or not. But Movies did, you like, did you like Shazam? No, it's my favorite DC film. Really? I liked it better than Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Yeah. I mean, it was good. It had a lot of better elements um, than most of the DC movies. I don't know where I would rank it, per se. But anyway, I guess that's not the topic at hand. But um, thank you for informing me, though, about the character Pedro. I had no idea about that. So that's interesting. Um, But for my number one, it's, of course, going to be something related to um, American Gods because if there's one show that I talk about Oh my god, my phone! I don't know what is going on. I have to like keep moving it in like a different it's spot. So it's like, what did you say? It's all your hose texting you, telling you. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. But um, oh my god, Ryan, you just come out with the craziest shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if there is one show that I talk about. Just as much as Doom Patrol, it is possibly American Gods. And in American Gods, we have these two characters. Um, it's the Jinn and Selene. And in season one of American Gods, we have a scene that is pretty much by the book because it, American Gods was a book by Neil Gaiman before it was adapted into a live-action uh, series. And the scene pretty much of Salim, who plays um, an Arab immigrant who is trying to make it in America, and it is not going well for him. He gets in the cab with this guy who he assumes is just a normal person, but then you find out that he is, in fact, a jinn, um, like an Afrit, which is pretty much like, a, you know, the character in Islamic uh, culture. And they have this connection. They spend a night of passion with each other and go off on their separate ways. But throughout season one, Salim is trying to find the jinn because he feels like that they had a real connection. And in season two, he meets up with the jinn. But it's not necessarily a, a very uh, nice reunion just because the jinn is pretty much telling Salim, like, you're a human and you are going to be in danger if you follow me around, but he ends up following him around anyway. So we have these two characters who are with each other, and they are traveling with each other, and throughout the series, it is very apparent that Selene should probably leave because it's super dangerous, but he decides that love conquers all, so he decides to stay with the djinn. And in the final episode, he... Uh, Salim proclaims his love for the jinn. They share this really passionate kiss where I think that the jinn realizes that this human loves him so much and that instead of pushing him away, he should, in fact, accept his love. And the two of them essentially ride off into the sunset together. So um, it's just, like, really just, like, a cute, like, relationship. And I like that the didn't decide to have them, like, so blissfully um, reconnect in season two. There was a bit of, like, a tug and pull because Celine is so devout to his religion 
but the jinn is always pointing out to him, like, hey, like, how could you be so devout to one god when there's all these other gods running around? Like, that doesn't make sense. But it still never, like, breaks them up, and it's not apparent. Like, even though the jinn did tell Selim to leave, it wasn't because he didn't want Selim. It was because he just felt that things were too dangerous for Selim. So it honestly is, like, my favorite, like, same-sex couple on television right now is the two of them and the fact that they decide to keep them together. You know, neither one of them were killed because that seems to always be a trope that they like to do. I mean, they did it in The Walking Dead where you had, you know, Aaron, it was with his husband and they killed him off at some point. So it's like they didn't do that. They just decided to keep the two of them together um, and expand on it because, again, in the book, the only thing we get is the one scene where the two meet and have sex with each other. So everything in season two is just like an expansion for the series itself. So that's going to be my number one because I have to pick that because I just love American Gods so much. So um, Ryan, I know that you don't watch American Gods, but based on what I think, I mean, based on what I said, and also do you watch The Walking Dead? Yes, I do watch The Walking Dead, but I, hate how they represent gay characters in that show, to be honest. But right. that, that's just me. It, it's and that awful was, how they... It's so bad. Sorry, I didn't mean to keep interrupting you, but I had wanted to kind of touch upon that because, again, you don't watch American Gods, so I'm not going to, like, force you to, you know, comment really I'm like, on there's it. not much I, I can say that I haven't right. seen already, and I don't watch the yeah. show, shows, so I can't go in-depth on them. Exactly. So I'm like, you know, I'm just wanting to say my piece, but that's why I'm going to pick that for number one. But we have some time, so we should, you know, maybe uh, flip it a little and explore a little. Like, as you said, they do a terrible job with representation on The Walking Dead. You know, like, why? Like, why do they do that? Because it is terrible, like, how they decided to even represent LGBT characters on that show really weird how they represent LGBT characters on the show. When they first introduce them, they're always in a relationship. Then after a few episodes, maybe a season or two, they kill the love interest off. And then they're just single until they die on the show. It's very odd. Like, so some examples are Tara and Aaron. When we first met Tara in whatever season, she was fucking some chick. She died. She never hooked up with anyone again. She might have hooked up with someone I don't really remember, but, like, she was never in a real committed relationship after that. And then you have Aaron, who his love interest recently died in season eight, I believe, and he hasn't been in relationships. Actually, no. Okay, so it's really weird. In So in season nine, they hint at him and Jesus having a relationship but they never actually said anything on it, so I'm just going to assume they didn't have one, but they, they left, like, subtle, subtle hints. And Jesus, for example, they never said he was gay, but in the comics, he is a gay character. You don't see once in the show that he is attracted to men, which sucks because if you don't know anything about the comics, if you don't read anything about the comics, if you don't hear anything about the comics, you would never know that the character's gay. You would never know, right. other than maybe subtle hints. Yeah, that, no, they, that's about it. They do a terrible job. So Tara, 
was with that one girl who got killed. And then when she came to Alexandria, she did get with another girl. I think her name is Denise, who got shot in the eye with the arrow. Yeah, she got shot in the eye, too. So the, yeah. the love interest always dies within the love all the short time of them being together. And that's what I'm saying. Pretty so much. it's like, to me, that was what was good about American God Season 2 was the Jin and Selene, is that they didn't kill off one of the characters, because we see that that is a common trope that they like to do. It's like, all right, we have the two gay characters. We're going to immediately have them in a relationship, and then we're going to kill one of them off. And The Walking Dead just doesn't know what to do. And as you said, like, I didn't know Jesus was a gay character. I kept seeing online, like, some of these people were talking about Aaron and Jesus, and I was like, oh, really? And then I looked, and I was like, oh, wait. Not only is Jesus gay in the comics, but in the comics, I do think that Aaron and Jesus get together at some point. And they do. It's, they killed Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> they killed Jesus. <laughs> so that shit ain't happening. I'm just like, come they, on, man. And the problem yeah. is, since they always kill him off so fast, you never get an emotional investment. So when they die, you're just like, okay, whatever, bye. Which is another, I don't need to get into this with The Walking Dead in general, which is the problem with The Walking Dead. They kill off these characters no one cares about, and they do it in these very anticlimactic ways where we're just like, oh, you've known these characters, but you've never connected with them, so cry when they die. <laughs> and I don't know if you heard about this, Ian. So in the, pan, the, yeah, the penultimate episode of season nine, the heads on the face, have you heard about that scene? I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. And I will say really quick before you go on, I didn't know that they killed off Jesus. So way to go, Walking Dead. Just kill all the characters off, like Carl, that you shouldn't be killing off. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, with the, with the head stake scene. Like, so at the end of the season is when the, the, the whispers are finally starting to claim their dominance. And this is how they, quote, unquote, claim their territory. So they have death. Ten out, of, ten out of people from every community, just all communities combined, and they storm at the, the, the festival. There was a festival, I forgot the name of the festival, but it's a really big festival in the comics. And in the comics, the festival, a lot of people get slaughtered. That never happened. But at the end of this episode, they did get slaughtered, but in a different way. They didn't all get slaughtered in the party or the, the parade or the carnival. They got slaughtered. After they were kidnapped, they were all killed and put put their head on stilts, pretty much, or on on um, stakes, not stilts. So three out of the ten characters are people that we semi care about. Seven of them we don't give a fucking shit about. Three of them are Edmund, who was the love interest for Carl, and she she started dating one of the one of Negan's men in the season nine after Carl died. Another one was Tara. She died too. And the last one was Henry. And honestly, Henry is one of the worst fucking characters, bro. I hate Henry. And I can, I'm so glad they killed him. And all the characters were just side characters that bullied each other, that had no development, nothing. And it was only a shock because of how many people were actually killed instead of who got killed, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I remember seeing that Tara died, and I'm like, okay, great. Why? And 
and there's another uh, gay character that they decided to act from the show. And it's just, like, yeah. honestly appalling. I mean, they and they do it so much with, like, so many um, characters and stuff. Like, if you've noticed, most of the, like, shit on this list are TV shows because there's so little movies out there that want to even explore that. And if you do have a gay character... It's like the stereotype or something like that that, you know, really isn't doing anything for, um, like, LGBT representation at all. Like, all right, yeah. in, the, in the DC movies, do we have anyone? What? Say that again? In the DC movies, is there anyone who's, like, gay or anything like that besides, like, you no. know, Pedro? No. Yeah, so I don't like, you know, to me, I just think that that's something that they need to seriously work on because, as I said earlier, it is 2019. Let us move forward in all of this shit because it's it's time at this point. It's time. Yeah, but and I don't know if you feel the same way like me, Tia. I, I, I think you're a little bit more passionate towards a – LGBTQ casting in movies than I am because one I'm not a part of that community I don't know what it's like to not be represented like that because um, me personally I find it great that they're finally getting the the, the eyes that they, they want and need but going back to the Marvel thing I never realized I was the first gay character because me personally I, I'm sorry to say this but I'll be coming off the wrong way if you know what I mean I understand that there needs to be gay resemblance, but like me personally, I don't see a difference, if you know what I mean. Like, call them gay or not, they will still always be a superhero to me. Them being gay or bisexual or trans does nothing for me. It it doesn't change my attitude towards them. It doesn't change how I see them as superheroes. It does nothing for me. And that's where I come into problem with a lot of things is because I get, I get where people are coming from and it sucks because I don't know what it feels like since I'm not a part of that, that group of people. And it's hard to come off the way I am trying to say that in retrospect, I, I don't want it to sound like I don't care because I don't care about the LGBT community when I do, because I don't know if you know this, my dad's gay and it's fucking awesome. dude. It's awesome. But just how I'm telling you about movies, bro, he's my father. I don't see him any differently. All you do is like men. So what? I, I don't see why there's been such a a big divide in it because of homophobes. Homophobic people, I should say, rather than homophobes. And I, I've, always, I've always grown up with everyone's equal and you don't see difference. And when I see that in movies, it doesn't it doesn't bother me because like in the Marvel film when Joe Russo was the gay character, I didn't even notice it until after the movie and I saw a post about it. That's how much it, it like, it didn't phase me that he was a gay character in a, in a superhero movie. If you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I completely get that. Like in a sense that, it should be something that is just completely presented as normal, right? Like, 
even as we said earlier with like Captain Holt, right, in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's just completely, it's put out there, and he's just respected by everyone. And that's how it should be. Um, it shouldn't change how you feel about the person being a superhero or anything like that. Um, and I do hope that if they do, I mean, this is what they say, that they are going to put in um, a gay character in the Eternals. And I hope that it's not made a big deal out of. It's just shown, and that's it. There's no mocking, there's no this, there's no that. Like, they just put it out there, right? So that's what I'm seriously hoping for. To me, and, like, I don't know if this is, like, super personal right now, but it's, like, you know, about five, six years ago, like, I went to my first Pride Parade down the city, and it was just when New York passed the bill to say that, like, you know, gay marriage was legal. And, like, Prior to that, like, it's not anything that I really was, like, thinking of, right, because I'm not, like, within the LGBT, so it wasn't affecting me. But going to the Pride Parade, I was seeing these, like, 60-year-olds, like, walking around with, like, um, uh, posters saying, like, we've been together for, like, 40 years, and now we can finally be together. And to me, it was so beautiful that I was, like, love is love. <laughs> like, this is something that, like, no one should feel, like, ashamed about. No one should feel like they are, you know, bad for, like, loving who they love. So I think, like, honestly, like, I attest to, like, that moment to being the moment that I just became so invested in, like, the LGBT, like, you know, community and why, like, I think it's so great that we should move towards representation more in the sense of, it just being normal because it is normal and it should be like considered that and presented as such. And I think like it's important for people just because you have people who have had to pretty much like play the part of being straight for so long in even their real life that I think that's why it's so important for them to get that in movies and TV shows. Yeah, totally. So that's how I feel about it personally. Um, but obviously we're just going to have to see where the climate of um, movies and TV shows go. Um, there's just seems to still be that uh, hesitation and that uh, resistance when it comes to everything. But, you know, me personally, I'm just... I was interrupting you. No, 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 no. I, I feel like I wasn't really, like, even making a point. So you can go. <laughs> the only thing I'm nervous about is they're going to do what they do with women representation in movies, specifically superhero movies, if you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, obviously, you notice in the more recent, like, Chronicle Marvel movies and DC films, they've been having these big women group together moments where it's sort of a one-off thing nothing else and that they're only doing it to get an applause from the women audience because they notice that they've been undermined this whole time and I'm really afraid they're going to do that with a bunch of LGBTQ characters too where they're going to put them in one specific moment just for a crowd applause or some shit and then they don't show it again that's that's really the real thing I'm nervous about because 
I think I might be the only person that was in Avengers Endgame. And when I saw the the women grouping up, I'm like, come on, why are you guys doing this again? You did you just did it in Infinity War with like half the characters that aren't in this shot. And I thought it was just a bit of a oh yeah, we know we don't put a lot of women figures in our movies, but here you go, here's one second of them grouping up to help Spider Man. And it feels like a forced moment, like you're just trying to please us without actually pleasing us. See I'll disagree with you on that because I actually loved that scene because I felt like it was the callback to Infinity War when we had that little brief scene with um, Scarlet Witch, Black Widow, and Okoye. And I love that it was, like, all of them and they just, like, charged. And, like, people, you know, think that Spider-Man is so precious, and he is. And so I think it was, like, almost, like, an endearing moment that all these, like, badass women were teaming together essentially to, like, protect Spider-Man. Um, I yeah. loved it. Per- I loved it personally. Maybe it's because I'm a woman, but I saw that, and I was like, it's just badass, because that was just a scene of just these, like, badass moments. So, to me, I, that's why I really liked it. And um, I, I would have liked you know. more individual moments than one quick group moment in my, for me personally. I would have appreciated more one-offs. Like, uh, the Captain Marvel part was a good scene, but she was nowhere in the movie before that. She was literally, she was literally um, there's a specific word for it. I forgot when. She's only, she only comes in when she's relevant. It's um, a specific word. But, like, let's talk about Captain Marvel, for example. Um, before her movie, they were hyping her up, like, well, Captain Marvel's going to be this huge character. She's going to come and kick everyone's ass. It's going to be fucking awesome. And then at the end of Infinity War, we got the, the little post-credit teaser, and we see the, the Captain Marvel logo. And, dude, when that happened, I remember the crowd fucking roaring at 1 a.m. in the morning. Because I saw a 10.30 opening night screening of Infinity War. And at 1 a.m., everyone was like, fuck yeah, bring on Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel came out quite disappointing, but I know you really liked it, Tia. Right? You really liked it? Or I, I could be wrong, but um, me no, personally... No, I really liked it. Like, I wouldn't... Personally, I me, wouldn't... Yeah. I'm sorry. I wouldn't rank it as, like... like well, I wouldn't rank it in, like, my top five, but I did enjoy it. I will say really quick, um, yeah, I was one of those people that was like, and I think I even said like several times to like you guys at Geek Vibes that I was like, Captain Marvel's gonna go in and kick, you know, Thanos' ass. He doesn't know what the she fuck is coming for him. And she barely did. She barely did. I was also saying on like a show a few weeks ago that one of the female characters in Marvel that I felt that they did a huge like disservice to was um Sharon Carter. Agent 13. I would you know, she's coming back, though. She's coming back. Which I'm happy about because the know, thing is, wait. like, the thing but is, she you have her. Grandfather. In, <laughs> <laughs> we have her in, you know, Winter Soldier, where she presented herself as a badass person. And then in Civil War, she and she had, like, a little bit of a badass moment, but she pretty much was then just reduced to, like, a love interest for Captain America. And I was like, you know, she's much. more than that. And in, um, like, 
the con- I think I was with Juwan and Nick, right? And in the conversation, one of them was saying, like, oh, maybe she'll get with, like, Bucky. I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want her to get with anyone in the Bucky and Falcon show. Just have her stand on her own. She's badass, and we've seen that she can fight. So just do that. Like, she doesn't need to, like, fall into the trope of needing to have a love interest. Yeah. Yeah. If this puts things into perspective about how much I dislike Captain Marvel, there's 22 MCU films. I put her number, her movie at number 20. That's how poor I thought the movie was. And so here, here's a quick gripe um, about Captain Marvel. I've never seen anyone talk about this. It's, it's, it, it actually mind boggles me. When I tell you this, it's going to annoy you. I guarantee it. So I was thinking about Captain Marvel the other day in Endgame. So if you remember after the Captain Marvel solo film, people were like, bro, she's unstoppable. She, she can't die. Nothing's going to affect her, right? And they're like, don't worry. She's going to have a weakness in Endgame. You'll find out. So we finally get to Endgame, and we see her fighting Thanos. And we, we see Thanos pull out the power stone. And that's her weakness. The power stone is her one and only weakness. What's the problem with that? Can you please tell me what the problem with that is? I want um, you to answer this. <laughs> I want you to answer this. Yeah, I, I, it's like, the thing is, my whole problem, like, all right, I have a problem with Captain Marvel's, like, role in Endgame, but I also don't, because the thing is, like, Yes, they hyped it up like nobody's freaking business, and you really thought that she was going to have a much bigger role when, in fact, she was in the beginning, and then she essentially was like, all right, peace out, guys, and then came back in the final scene. But I also didn't have a problem with it because I'm like, this is about the original six, right? Oh, this is going to be the end for so many. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so <laughs> sorry. No, no. So what do you think the problem with what I just told you her weakness was? Just tell me what you think the problem is. That it was the Infinity Stone and not really her, like, personal weakness? No, it's not that. So think about it. In the beginning of Endgame, Thanos destroyed the stone. Her only weakness is the stone, the, the, the fucking Power Stone, right? Her only weakness mm-hmm. is the Power Stone. Captain America brings it back to the past at the end of the movie and can never get it again. So they gave her a weakness and then took it right back to make sure she could never have that weakness again. Yeah. Yeah, now that, yeah, so I'm, I'm understanding that. the point of adding that if you're just going to completely retcon it at the end and get rid of it? You know, I don't personally know. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they explore in Captain Marvel 2. Um, just to see what then her, like, weakness is. I don't know. Like, I know that, like, you don't necessarily like the movie Captain Marvel, and certainly you are not alone in it. I didn't think that it was, like, the best MCU movie, but I still enjoyed it. It still had an enjoyable factor to me, um, and there's still a lot of moments in it that I liked, so I can't, like, hate on it too much. Um, You know, and... I know that some people are very iffy on the casting of Captain Marvel. It's like Brie Larson really should even be Carol Danvers. So, uh, you know, it's it's all like 
a little like washed and I think that people may dislike her as well just because she is very outspoken in real life. I, I find it kind of ironic that people don't like Brie Larson. I like her. I think she fits the role perfectly. Shoot, they just give her nothing to work with. That is the honest problem. They give her nothing to work with, and when they write her, they write her very one-dimensional. They give her nothing to work with. Every line she says, bro, they're like, okay, say it like it's always going to be the end of the world. Oh. Hi, Peter Parker. Hi, Peter Parker. Oh, hey, too. Dude, like, they, they make sure you don't like her. I feel like that is their main point, is here's a character. Let's make sure we don't like her. <laughs> it, it's well, crazy. The, well, the thing with Marvel is that you know, and this is another thing, like, as good as, like, the MCU is, they do have a problem with writing their female characters. Because think about it, this is, first of all, the first female-led uh, movie in the MCU, right? And as I said, how they reduce Sharon Carter to just a love interest. And then you have Black Widow, who is this badass assassin, and in... Age of Ultron, they give her like this love story that was completely unnecessary with Bruce Banner. Why did we need that? Hey, uh, hey, don't don't diss my boy Bruce Banner. Come on, that was my, I like I like name. Bruce. I like Bruce, but her and Bruce had no connection at all. Like that was such Dude, a force. I, know, yeah. I, I it I'll was so I, I will admit, and I get why people don't like it. I'll admit I'm in the minority. But I dug it. I dug it. I, I just hate how they build up their relationship. You get it You get it in Age of Ultron. You get a, a, a tad bit from her message in Thor Ragnarok. And you get their kind of awkward meeting back in Infinity War. And then they never and nothing comes from it. Like for them to mention that they stopped talking or something. Yeah. You would think it they would go. No like, it made no sense. It made no sense. You know, field, but. I kind of enjoyed it. I'm sorry. I I know it's I know it's not good. I know it's it's full writing, but it's like one of those nitpick things that I actually enjoy. It's one of those things. Uh, to me, I always thought that um, like, and maybe I'm in like the minority here, but I always thought that her and Steve Rogers had good chemistry with each other. If they decided to never make him go back in time to be a Peggy and they decided not to kill her off, that they could have been good together. I'm surprised they didn't, actually. Right. They I'm had chemistry. They, really they had a shit ton of chemistry. And the fact that, like, Black Widow always stuck by Captain America, no matter what, even in Civil War, like, at the end. Um, you know, I feel like they can do that. I also feel like they could if they felt like going in this direction, right? You know, we have the upcoming Black Widow movie. Make her in a relationship or something with a woman. They could easily do that. I don't give a shit about that Black Widow movie now. I'm sorry. (laughs) I really don't. (laughs) I would have have given a shit if it was in phase one, right? Like when we first meet – like when we first met her – you know, in Iron Man 2, and we had the first Avengers movie, I was like, where's our Black Widow movie? You know, we have all these movies with all these guys. Like, let's have, like, she's the only woman at this point. Let's have her. But then as time went on, I'm like, okay, we're clearly never going to get it. And then we have all these other, like, great female characters. And then 
20 movies later, 10 years later, that's when they decide, let's do a Black Widow movie. No one gives a shit right now. No one gives a shit about it. People are given a reason not to give a shit about it. Honestly. I mean, I don't know if you, you heard this, but um, there is a rumor about the new, whatchamacallit, the, the phase four, like, uh, type of spreadsheet, whatever, the, their list of movies. And apparently, there's a Dark Avengers movie and a new Avengers movie slated. And that makes me really nervous. That Why? They have two Avengers movies already planned out, and they have so little characters that have to do with both those films. Well, that's, you know, something that they're going to have to build on and everything. I did see that, um, that lineup, and that could be, like, very much, like, you know, down the line, and those are just rumors. I think if Marvel is smart, they're not going to do another Avengers movie for, like, another five years. And then, if anything, don't do an Avengers movie. Still do, like, a team-up movie, but call it something else. Like, let's move away from that. You know, the first ten years were Avengers. Like, let's do something else. There are plenty of groups in the MCU. We don't need to focus on the Avengers anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I I feel like I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like Marvel is gonna dip after Endgame. I, I dude, it's scaring me because I don't want that to happen. They're going back to the two film a year thing for a few years now, and they've got honestly, I think it's a really floppy lineup. Um. I feel like they're leaning too much into the galaxy-based stuff. I like the galaxy-based stuff, but I feel like it's not um, put together too much, if you know what I mean. Like, there's no specific uh, point of contact for all the characters to meet. Because you've got Earth. Earth is the main point of contact for all the superheroes to come, if you know what I mean. When you're in space, there's no same fight you're always going to meet. There's no same planet you're always going to be. There's, going to, there's not going to be a, a quote-unquote home base. The Avengers have the Avengers facility. They always went there, but now they want to lean more into a galaxy-based thing. I, I like the galaxy-based stuff, don't get me wrong, but I feel like it's going to flop on their heads a little bit because I'm not excited for the Eternals. I'm not excited for Black Widow. Um, I, I, get, I, I, get, I barely care about the Black Panther movie. The first one was good. But I feel like they're doing it really late. Um, Doctor Strange 2, they're doing it really late again. The two Avengers movies that are supposed don't even make sense why they're doing it. Especially the Dark Avengers movie. We haven't even heard a fucking Norman Osborn yet in the MCU. Maybe they'll do something far from home. And let's just say this multiverse theory from Mysterio is true. Why would they not lean into that more? And they decided to lean in a more guardi- Guardians of the Galaxy based thing. I don't know. It well, makes no sense to me. To me, though, I think that we just have to wait and see. Like, you know, when I, when, you know, Iron Man first came out, we had no idea that this world building was going to happen and that it was going to get to where we are today. So I think that they just need to build it up again with different characters and, 
you know, Marvel has this knack for taking characters that you would originally not have cared about and then suddenly make you care. So I, I'm maybe like wildly optimistic that we're going to, you know, still have like good content and it's going to lead up to something and you can still have it like be in space or something like that. I mean, Dr. Strange could easily get there or something. I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go, but I'm not, I'm not in the mindset of, Oh, um, you know, nothing good is on the horizon. I'm not saying nothing good. They've just not given me enough to look forward to it. You know what I mean? No, and I understand perfectly. Um, You know, Far From Home is going to be the end of Phase 3, so we're going to have to see what that sets up. And personally, and we only have a few minutes, but I'll uh, I'll throw this question out to you. Do you think Mysterio is lying about the multiverse? Okay. Okay. I'm the one in a million that thinks he's actually trying to help Peter in the beginning. I feel like the relationship is genuine. I feel like he does care about Peter. I think the multiverse theory is true, but I do think he's a villain, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the thing is that I am almost hoping that the multiverse is true because I think we've spoken about this before. It would be the perfect way to introduce characters like the X-Men that you're all sitting there wondering, going, how is this going to work? You know, how could you introduce the X-Men? I mean, where have they been this whole time? It's like, oh, the multiverse. To me, I think it would be a Dude, perfect honestly so answer. It really is. I feel like they're going to try and overcomplicate it and fuck it up. Well, I think someone suggested, too, that you can have Thanos' snap, you know, um, make all of these powers emerge. And do that. I mean, yeah, they could explain it easily, but I'm just saying one of the ways you can explain it is the multiverse. So I think that I, I want to believe that Mysterio is telling the truth, you know, just because, like, it would be kind of cool to bring in the multiverse to it. And I do like the idea of he did genuinely like Peter and want to help, but that maybe, like, his desire for, like, something else made him essentially the villain in this story. Yeah, and I've got, like, okay, so going back to, like, the whole, the phase four thing, thank God there's a supposed Thor 4. We need a Thor 4. Oh, we need, we need a Thor 4. I'm glad Hemsworth is coming back, and I'm going to say this now, I think there is, there's still the Mark Ruffalo still has one more movie under his contract, and I highly doubt that he is going to be in a in the next Avengers. So what I'm hoping they do is they put him in a solo Spider-Man film, hmm. and him and Spidey team up because if you think about it, he's another version of Tony Stark, just nicer. He's a nicer version of Tony Stark, if you really think about it. He's really smart. He can help lead Peter down a smart path while being the Hulk at the same time and being backup. Because I, I still think it's kind of bullshit that they kind of fucked his arm up in Endgame if it was so much gamma, if it was pretty much gamma radiation. I felt like it shouldn't have damaged his arm if it was all gamma radiation. 
That's just me, though. Oh, no. I don't know. I feel like, you know, maybe it fucked it up, but we'll see that his arm then becomes better because of the gamma radiation or yada, yada, yada. I feel like they could easily explain that. Um, I do like the idea of him almost then maybe moving into the role of becoming a mentor for Spider-Man. Because I know that everyone wants Spider-Man to take over the role of Tony Stark. And I love Spider-Man. I love Tom Holland's Spider-Man. But he's too Dude, young. I, Spider-Man. I, I, I really hope they keep him for a while. I, I do, really too. Do. I do, too. But he's too young right now to become the Tony Stark of the group, you know? Like, Honestly, I'd rather see him become the Tony than fucking Captain Marvel. I'm sorry. And I'm not saying Captain Marvel take over, but I'm saying if you're talking about someone who's supposed to be, like, the tech person who is, like, you know, almost the um, the level head of the group. Not level head, but you, you know what I'm saying. Like, the Tony Stark of the group, I just don't think should be Peter Parker. I'm not sure who it would be. I don't think it would be, you know, Doctor Strange, um, just because to me it seems like he might just then retreat back to, you know, doing his thing to protecting the universe. He's not really going to want to be involved every single time, you know, like the Avengers have a problem. Yeah. So, oh, no, this I'm whole not Marvel sure. Phase 4 thing is just fucking crazy. But other than Marvel, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad DC is finally getting their shit together and finally confessing to, like, fixing their movies. God, so happy about that. Yes. Yes, absolutely, because DC definitely had a problem for a really long time. They came out with something saying that they need good producers. Well, I was like, yeah, no shit. Of course you need good producers because you've been shit so far. But guys, real quick, can we get a hashtag save Swamp Thing in the chat? Thanks. That's oh, my God. I find that <laughs> I, I think I'm the only person who's upset, but like, I don't give a shit because I find it so funny. You know I, mean, I mean, it does, it does suck because it was all about, like, wrong paperwork. And it's like, how do you fuck up like that? Like, to me, I'm just it's like... It's literally because the state fucked up paperwork. That's really... It's hilarious. It's hilarious. Like, how do you go through all of this with the cast, with the CGI, with the, you know, production, the costumes, blah, 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 and then you, like, it's just like, what? Like, on, on top of, like, the biggest fuck-up out there, like, this has to take the cake. Fucking honestly. (laughs) But, um, Ryan, we have uh, gone through the, and I don't know why my phone is being so weird right now, because I was on a show earlier and it was not doing this, so I'm not understanding, but um, we have done the top 10 best LGBTQ plus representation of film, TV, and comic books with um, additional talk of Marvel as our conversations usually go to, into the realm of. But, um, Ryan, do you want to promote yourself and tell us what we can expect from you next? Yeah, guys, you can check me out on Twitter. Just Ryan again. It's going to be a great time. And all I do is talk movies and bullshit, even though no one likes the tweets because I'm a fucking loser. That's not true, Ryan. I, I like you. You are here. You're one of the core people of the top ten, and we couldn't do it without you. But, um, <laughs> but 
I'm Tia, and of course, you can find all my content at dvnation.com. Please find me on Twitter, uh, tc underscore stars. We got a lot of amazing, amazing content coming up, so just make sure you keep an eye out for all of that. And again, as I said earlier in the show, happy Pride Month, everyone. Have yourself a good night. Peace, everyone. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.